Lovely Sort of Listeners. On this week's episode, Darren is going to re-sleeve the Netflix show Altered Carbon. We're going to become super friends with the Justice League. Okay, well, maybe just acquaintances. And we're going to get Medieval on the Rat Queens, a really cool comic. In the Take Home Top 3, I'm going to give you some advice on getting your friends hooked on board games. Oh, and you might just find out how Darren got this song stuck in my head all week. Totally sort of the podcast. It's sort of like a review show and totally like catching up with your best friend. I'm Chris. And I'm Darren. We'll let you know what you totally need to check out and what is sort of worth skipping. All right, before we get into our week in geek, have you got anything totally random you want to talk about? I do. I went to see the Harlem Globetrotters this weekend. Nice. I have a vague thought that I saw them at some point as a kid but it may have just been that I saw either the Saturday morning cartoon or one of yeah. the live specials because when I went to see it I I went going I went thinking that I've seen it before but then when I got there and we were watching it I was like I don't know I think I've just become so familiar with them over the years that I think I've seen them at some point that's really weird because I when you mentioned that I had almost the same recollection like I don't know almost like we saw saw them in like a really really low rent facility or something it's possible but I went thinking I'd seen it but now I don't recall having a specific recollection of having seen them before yeah so you took the kids I assume yeah, all four of us went to go see them, and it was a lot of fun. Just generally, if people don't know the Harlem Globetrotters, this is a sort of comedy basketball team. They play and have played since sometime in the 50s, a team called the Washington Generals. And the the setup to the whole thing is kind of like, uh, almost like a wrestling match, where they set up the Washington Generals as being the heel When they're introduced, they come out and they insult your hometown and (laughs) talk about uh, how they dislike being here. So then they set up this whole idea that the Globetrotters are your hometown team and uh, the Washington Generals are the heels. And then they proceed to have a basketball game, which is part basketball game, part just sort of show. And I mean, all the people on the Harlem Globetrotters are... Uh, really, really good trick basketball players. So they play a really fun game that does stuff you'd never see in an actual basketball game, like sliding on the floor, jumping off people's backs, all kinds of uh, crazy tricks and stunts. But they, the the passing and the dribbling and the ball handling is just so incredibly skilled to watch that it's it has this fun feel to it. Nice. And it's totally corny and really cheesy and they stop and call timeouts and then just do goofy stuff like mess with the referees and and with members of the crowd but the whole time I was watching it I was watching to see if like my kids would be at all into it because they're pretty sort of digital savvy they watch a lot of stuff on YouTube and it's really is a sort of corny 
form of humor that you're watching in this whole show. Right. And both of them the whole time were laughing and thought it was hysterical and amazing. And by the end of it, I was I had that sort of tightness in my face and realized that I I'd had a huge smile on my face the whole time awesome. watching them. And and some of it was watching them and some of it was just because it was just great entertainment. Yeah. Like they they put on a show that I think anybody could appreciate and it's just fun. That's great. It's uh it's it's cool that uh we knew the Harlem Globetrotters as kids, but it was like almost like an all-star team like they were actually famous characters. It's it's cool that the the team and the show and everything is bigger than any particular characters that it still works all these years later with all different players. Yeah, it really does. Uh, can I uh, leave just a few uh, interesting and poignant facts about the Harlem Globetrotters? <laughs> just a few. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, after this, this team has been, were, they were formed in 1926. So they recently had their 90th year uh, anniversary. Wow. And in 1948 and 49, they had exhibition games in which the Harlem Globetrotters, that at that point were was the only place that black basketball players played. There were no black basketball players in the NBA. And in 1948 and 1949, they played the NBA champion, which was the Minneapolis Lakers at that time, mm-hmm. and beat them both years. Wow. And... They, that those two games were recognized as being one of the things that eventually led to the inclusion and acceptance of black basketball players in the NBA. And in fact, the first black basketball to play in the NBA came from the Harlem Globetrotters. It was Nathaniel Sweetwater Clifton. He was the first African-American player to play in the NBA. Uh, Wilt Chamberlain, who is recognized as one of the greatest centers in the history of basketball, started his career in the Harlem Globetrotters before going to the NBA. Oh, the other fact I found that I thought was quite entertaining was that to tip off their 90th anniversary, they had a audience with the Pope, <laughs> which I thought was weird <laughs> to start with, right? But then when I I, I just could not picture the Globetrotters meeting the Pope. Well, that was the weird part. But then when I looked at it, the follow-up fact I found was this is the eighth time the Harlem Globetrotters (laughs) have had an audience with a Pope. (laughs) How many Popes, though, I wonder? I don't know how many different ones. That is quite the the stat. (laughs) Um, They also should be called out, I think, They've raised millions and millions of dollars for various charities. And at this particular tour, the 2018 one, they are working with World Vision and uh, trying to get people to assist in sponsoring children. That's awesome. All right. How about yourself? I think you had an interesting travel this week. Yeah, I just got back on Friday from Nashville. Uh, My company sent a whole bunch of us down for a uh, trade show. And it was a good time, but it was also my first time in Nashville. So... um, I don't know. Have you ever been? No, it's a city I've always wanted to go to. It was pretty cool. I have to say I was a little bit skeptical because, uh, you know, you think of Nashville, you think of country music and uh, at least in terms of popular country music, it's really not my thing whatsoever. Um, But uh, I'd seen some I'd seen Anthony Bourdain in in Nashville and kind of uh, a few things giving me the hint that maybe there's a little bit more going on than kind of traditional uh, traditional country music. And it turned out to be a really cool city. Um, 
really very tourist oriented but in in a good way the main strip broadway is just full of bars and restaurants uh and a lot of live music i've never really been someplace that had that much live music going on where you really just up, up and down the street uh every place has open windows with with live bands playing yeah i've heard uh, people say that sort of you can go to your average corner bar in Nashville on a Tuesday afternoon at three o'clock and see a band that in most other cities would play like Saturday night in a theater or a large scale arena. Yeah, it really like it wasn't uh, so much the caliber of, of the artists that, that wowed me as just the, the, um, the ubiquity of them. And like you said, like even I think we went out for dinner at like six o'clock on Monday night and the place that we decided to check out, which was kind of a trailer park themed place, uh, had a a kind of a skeezy cramp style southern rock band playing and uh, they were really good. That's what that's why we I mean, we went to the restaurant to check it out because it had sounded like good food and a fun vibe. But uh, the band was rocking, and so that was really good. Uh, the food was excellent. We had lots of uh, greasy meat everywhere, so some good ribs and tried the Nashville hot. I didn't go crazy hot with that the way some people do. I've heard it described as a three-day commitment, and I did not need to do uh, partake in that. <laughs> I like that. But no, we went to, uh, went to one barbecue joint called Peg Leg Porky, um and had just some awesome ribs and fries and everything there was just so good they also do like fried pies which are like kind of like a homemade version of a mcdonald pie Hmm. lots and lots of good food and it's just it was a cool city to walk around in like even even the convention center there was actually some cool architecture and there's a lot of street art like some really nice big murals so uh, it was definitely a cool place to visit. I, I would not have expected to say this, but I would be happy to go back and, and check it out another time. Yeah, I've been dying to go. It's a place that's definitely on my list of uh, visits and trips to make. When I look at almost any band I like and look in, through their tour schedules, they all have a stop in Nashville. So I think that the musical variety in Nashville runs pretty widely beyond uh, country music and what you might traditionally think was going to play there. Yeah, and it was really neat that, like, there really was a a large variety. And the only thing that I kind of noticed, um, and this isn't a a slam, but, uh, you know, a lot of the bands would have a great opening set and then slide into some really dubious covers pretty quickly from there. But, uh, you know... uh, if a band can rock out for 30, 40 minutes before they get there, then that's that's still pretty cool. We saw a couple bands that started really strong and then got into some really, really iffy territory. Just couldn't keep it up. Just couldn't keep it up. So anyways, if anybody uh, is thinking about it, take the plunge and, and uh, check out Nashville for sure. Right on. Okay, so why don't we jump right into our Week in Geek. Let's do that. So I understand you've been watching Altered Carbon, which I started watching and just kind of dropped off on. What'd you think? Yeah, we did a show a while ago, and I think it was when you originally had seen both The Dark and Altered Carbon. Yeah, that sounds about right. And I did not yet get around to The Dark because watching shows with subtitles takes a particular frame of mind for me. 
so I went with Altered Carbon, your other uh, suggestion. Yeah. I, I really quite liked it. I uh, started a little slowly with uh, watching a few episodes, but then I got hooked and ate up like the last six or seven. I guess it was only 10. So this show came out February 2nd of uh, 2018 on Netflix. I think it's been doing really well. I've certainly heard a lot of people talking about it. Yeah, I think it deserves to. It's a really fun sci-fi series. This uh, series, I think you mentioned it before, but we'll throw it out again, is based on the book by Richard K. Morgan, of which I think there are three in the series. Mm-hmm. So this, uh, the idea behind this series is that it takes place uh, 350 years in the future, and at that time... Uh, all of a person's memories and personalities can be saved onto these discs, which can then basically be plugged into the vertebrae in the back of the neck of a person, and then you take over the body, and they refer to bodies as just being sleeves. They're they're sort of disposable. What uh, when everything that you are is stored on this on this disc, and as a result, people can live basically forever as long as you can keep affording a new sleeve every time yours dies or ages out as long as your disc is uh, undamaged you can go anywhere to say it, it it seems like a pretty plausible not too distant concept that that could actually be happening and the the world that they plug this all into is uh, really quite entertaining to see and uh, that's one of my pros of the show is that the the world building of it is quite spectacular and it, that combined with its production value and the effects everything looks great yeah and as a result they're able to build this world because in this in this world Humanity has left the planet Earth and traveled to distant star systems, and so people are stretched across many, many star systems, and the cortical stack these little discs, but because uh, everything that you are is in this disc, it's data and can be transmitted to other places. So you can essentially travel from Earth to another solar system in the matter of seconds or time it takes to just digitally transport data uh, across these uh, vast distances and then just put into another body and that's Mm -hmm. basically the way people travel they don't you know you get around the idea of having to move long distances and so it's all a really uh, fun and interesting world that they've done some of the acting in it I think uh, this is was one of my pros and cons. Some of the acting in it is really good. Some of it leaves a little to be desired. But uh, I don't know if you got into it far enough to see the hotel that he checks into called The Raven. Yeah, that was kind of cool. And the the person who runs it's name is Poe. And I, that, I love that concept, like The Raven being a, a hotel run by an artificial intelligence who has set all the parameters of what the hotel will be and has decided on basically making it an Edgar Allan Poe-themed hotel. It's just, uh, the place is amazing, and uh, throughout the series, that hotel, the Raven, sort of takes on a lot of just character in terms of how the series develops, and I really, really liked that part, and I like Poe, and I like the actor who played him, so every scene 
from my perspective that took place inside the Raven were like the highlights of the series for me. Yeah. It's kind of like, did you, have you seen John Wick or not? Yeah. The, the Continental, the hotel in the John Wick series. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. About which they're now building an entire TV show. <laughs> the but, one, one thing uh, I kind of liked and kind of didn't about our Altered Carbon was when technology advances to a certain point that it's uh, kind of interchangeable with magic. High magic stories have this same problem. When you have some technology that is so powerful and so unbelievable, you have to make judgment calls about, well, is technology going to be solving every problem? And is it going to be omnipresent? And what, you know, as a creator, you have to decide what bits of the world are still low-tech or not affected by technology. And I I wish I could tell you a specific example, but there were a couple times in that show where I kind of thought, really, they have all this technology, but they're still doing that the old-fashioned way? That was, you know, it's a pretty minor quibble. It was certainly not, you know, super high-concept sci-fi, but it was a little weird in places, some of the, the choices, I thought, but also really interesting. Like you said, the world-building and the and the visuals were uh, were amazing, and I, I probably will get back to it, but uh, it didn't quite grab me. I, I did like Poe, and I did like The Raven, but I'm, I'm glad to hear that it holds up, and it's uh, worth checking out the rest of. Yeah, it really does. I, I liked that they introduced you to right away to the this bigger complex story of how all of this is managed and how it's really kind of uh, oppressively managed from the top down and the super rich have all of these advantages and the this idea of corruption and the idea that your main character uh, the Takeshi Kovacs character comes from a resistance to the way the order is. And uh, so they give you this uh, sort of complex story, but then they go back to telling you uh, a relatively simple story inside of it, the sort of uh, detective, uh, sort of noir detective story that they're telling you. But I thought that they sort of promised at the beginning that they were going to get me more into the bigger story because there's this point where Kovacs doesn't want to come back and deal with this guy's little detective story that he's been brought back from sort of his imprisonment because they Mm -hmm. need his skills and he has these uh, this idea or eventually decides to do it because it's his chance to change the world and so I kind of thought we were going to get into him doing things to affect the larger story and it never really gets there yeah i mean obviously you gotta leave some stuff for the future but that kind of came in with the promise that what he was doing was going to have an effect on sort of the greater world and the problems with it and this season anyways never really got there yeah i think they they throw a whole lot into uh into these episodes but i I like that you touch on the the backstory and how much they explain. Because the one thing that I also think they did a pretty good job of is giving you a lot of information without having it ever come across as being overly um, exposition heavy. You know, where sometimes they just feel like you're hearing a hear the screech of brakes and they stop and monologue some explanation of how the world works to you. I feel like they kind of doled it out and told it in lots of little chunks. 
in ways that let you figure out a lot about the world without ever having it seem too much like they were just explaining things to you for the sake of, of context. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I also have to say it was nice to see uh, Daijin Latchman back. Who'd you watchman? <laughs> Daijin Latchman, she's the uh, female who plays his sister. I don't know if you would have got to her episodes. Oh, no, I don't think I did. She, she was, uh, did you ever watch uh, Dollhouse? I haven't seen Dollhouse, no. So she was a character on Dollhouse, and she's been a uh, character on Agents of Shield. I really like her, and okay. she it, because she's a major character eventually, and she was a lot of fun to see again on the screen. Right on. All right. Suffice to say, I quite enjoyed it, and I would recommend it. Uh, it sucked me in, and I pushed all the way through without feeling like it was a struggle. High praise. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> You know, some most of that is more like uh, my own time constraints yeah. that it's like, uh, how can I fit this in? But this one was like, I was happy to find time to uh, fit it in to see the whole thing through. Yeah, I got a couple of uh, superhero movies under my belt this week. Really? I, I finally saw Black Panther. Nice. And I did enjoy it. I, I don't think we needed to say a whole lot about it. I think you've done more than enough over the last few weeks. <laughs> so we won't entitle this episode, Yay, Chris finally saw Black Panther. Yeah, maybe a subtitle. <laughs> no, it was it was good fun. I, I just really wanted to make sure I'd seen it before uh, Infinity War comes out. Yeah. But I also saw Justice League, which uh, I know, I think you saw in the theaters, but that was another one I that... Did. I did not make the effort to see initially because I'm not hadn't heard good things, but um, I managed to lower the bar so much with that one that I ended up quite enjoying it. Yeah, I didn't dislike it. I my impression all along, having seen it, was it was not amazing, but it wasn't terrible. Yeah, I mean, it was um, it was a B movie, but uh, you know, it it certainly did a lot better than a lot of the other DC movies have have done and. There were a couple of things that I liked about it, but wow, did the, it still manage to have some pretty glaring issues, mainly with just the bad guy being totally forgettable. They really didn't explain him in any way that, that I could have cared less about. Yeah. I don't know why his his bad guys looked like robots, uh, but he looked like a Norse god. There was just... It was just like a kind of jumbly mishmash of, I don't know, I don't know if that's the Zack Snyder influence or what. I think that for some reason they think they can just throw these things out on the screen, and because there are enough people who are familiar with the DC Universe that they're all just going to go, oh, okay, those are great, just because I know what they are, but without, as you said, any real depth into them such that you actually get involved or interested in the bad guy yeah so yeah there were lots of things that i i thought they they did pretty well but you know they every time they kind of got a little bit of momentum going with me there was something that just kind of put the brakes on like they had you know their MacGuffin story about finding the cubes or whatever those like sort of energy things were the mother boxes the mother boxes that's it I just thought it really weird that they set up that there were three mother boxes and this was kind of felt like shades of Lord of the Rings to me. And one box went to the Atlanteans and one went one went to the Amazonians and the other went to mm, some human dudes. 
Yeah. But it, it just, I kind of felt like Atlanteans, uh, Amazonians, shouldn't they have like pegged this as like some famous human, like, you know, Alexander the Great or somebody with some heft? It was just like dudes in a forest. Also, when they showed you the battle, um, the big battle against him, mm-hmm. you saw Green Lanterns at the battle. Mm-hmm. That would be a, probably a safer place to leave one of the mother box <laughs> with the Green Lanterns. I thought uh, the Flash was kind of fun. Cyborg was a bit of a mixed bag. He was more interesting than I expected him to be, but he was still kind of a letdown. I thought he didn't really, you know, draw me in as a character, but I thought they the premise of him not just being sort of conflicted by being a little bit cyborg, which is sort of a tried and true story of, oh no, I'm half robot. You know, it's a troubling thing. We've established that through various TV and film and comics. But the idea that he was kind of infected with this alien intelligence too, that was that was kind of interesting, but they didn't really go too much into that. So I think there were just a lot of squandered opportunities, really. It was more fun than I expected it to be, and I really did enjoy it just as a piece of fluff, but really couldn't get past rating it as anything more than fluff. I, I enjoyed it. I didn't love it, but I, I think I'm always going to have problems with their movies because I have problems with some of the choices that they've made as the foundations. I don't understand why they decided to go with such an older version of Batman. Yeah, it didn't make a lot of sense. Uh, this is as a comic book, longtime comic book reader, um, you know, we're very spoiled to get all these comic book movies, but my biggest beef is always when they just squander a great story in, in a very disposable manner. And I think, you know, the reason the death of Superman was uh, an interesting and good story arc in the comics is because Superman had been around for 50 years plus and so there has some resonance and some heft when he dies. Uh, when you kill him in the first movie or second movie, it, it does, doesn't have that same impact. And the same with Batman, <clears throat> if you don't have all the backstory. Yeah, it's the same reason uh, in Batman v Superman. The reason why that fight is such a key moment in Frank Miller's Dark Knight is because you have 50 years of Batman and Superman history leading up to that fight. Yeah. And as a movie, because either they want to do it or Scott Snyder wanted to do it, they have, like, the first thing that happens between them be a fight that has no emotional connection or consequences for all the history that is actually written into the comic that they lifted the storyline from. And it also manipulated the choice of having an older Batman because for some reason they wanted to do Miller's Dark Knight type fight with Superman in like the first movie with the two of them. So, well, you got to have an older Batman who's wise and has come up with a way to kill Superman. It's just, it just, I don't understand the choices that they've made in so many regards. And it's sort of, for me, infected the way I see all of their stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to get past that, but they seem to be, you know, inching towards better and better choices. So hopefully they'll yep. uh, they'll keep doing that, and we'll see some continue to see some more fun and entertaining flicks. Uh, I don't know what are what are the next uh, DC movies on the horizon. They've really certainly not been grinding them out the way the uh, the Marvel and uh, Disney machine has been. 
Aquaman, I think, is the next one. That'll be interesting because uh, just uh, on a final note about Justice League was I, as much as he was a little over the top in terms of the, the comic elements, I thought it was an interesting take on Aquaman. It's not a character that's near and dear to me, so I was fine with having him be changed up. But I also thought the the way they handled the underwater stuff was kind of cool. I don't know if it would work for a whole movie, but it was uh, seemed to be well done, and it wasn't really what I was expecting, but it seemed to work pretty well. Yeah, I mean, they did a great job with Wonder Woman. Like, I really yeah, like that movie. For sure. And uh, I also, uh, I mean, I do like the Aquaman character, but I do really like what they've done with him thus far, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't know where Aquaman sits in the current uh, DC universe, sort of, but I kind of imagine an Atlantean setting being more like in Thor where it's sort of cosmic and fantastic, but I don't know, maybe they can, maybe they'll take it someplace like that. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing it. So you got a little comic book action to tell me about this week. I do. I've been uh, interested in checking out the book rat Queens for some time, but the first volume of, uh, of the trades has been out of print for quite a while and I refused to pick up like volume two. So I basically held out until the first volume came back in print. I really quite liked it. So uh, what's the 32nd pitch? What is Rat Queens all about? Uh, Rat Queens is the story of a town called Palisade, which has a bunch of adventuring groups, basically Dungeons and Dragons type parties. Okay that live in that town and go off on adventures and come back to the town. The Rat Queens are one of them. It's a all-female adventuring group, and the pitch of the book is sort of a combo of uh, adventure stories uh, combined with humor. Hmm. And they do a really, really good job of mashing the two together. The the humor is really quite funny, and it's really well and sharply written. Nice. But the adventure stuff is just very cool, really well drawn. The action scenes are just fantastic uh, to just visually. And the the interesting or the, the sort of subtext to what's going on is that they've written this all-female group, and they are as sort of dirty as any sort of male group of adventures you've seen written like they swear they drink they have sex they uh, they do drugs it's like just it's just this uh, after reading it i was kind of thinking like the the parallel i would draw is it's like it's almost like quentin tarantino wrote uh, like D adventure story mm. the way it's written it's just the the action and the way they talk and they swear and like it's just a lot of fun and uh sounds like a rock band (laughs) but yeah i know like it's just really well written and like you you don't even i i you don't even really get hung up on the fact that this is an all-female group it's just like it it's so totally natural the way they're written and the way they act it's it's just really fun to read. Cool. Is it a is it a big cast or is it a small group or how many how many rat queens are there? So there are four rat queens. So you've got a what do you got? You got a elven mage, a dwarven warrior, 
a, a human cleric and a, a sort of halfling. They call them smidgens. So yeah, it's the four of them. Hmm. And yeah, they just the storylines are a lot of fun. The uh, you can get the first five issues, which covers a first story arc, all combined in one. Uh, volume the volume's called sass and sorcery and uh, it's just a it, i don't know it's a great little story so it's a relatively simple story the 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 town is pissed off because all of these adventuring groups keep trashing the town basically like they come back from their travels and adventures they're all ripe with cash and booty and they all get drunk and fight and ruin the town and so the town's all pissed off at them some assassins are suddenly starting to kill off the group and the the rat queens go on basically an adventure to figure out who has hired the assassins to kill off all the adventuring parties in Palisade and hilarity and uh, slaughter ensues. Awesome. Cool. I will have to check that out. It's been on my radar for a while too, but I've I've yet to get to it. So very, very cool. So, if you've been listening for the last couple of episodes, uh, we've been doing a feature called Tournament of Fools. We will be getting back to that on the next show, but we have a few more details to sort. So, if you can hold off for another week, you will get the thrilling conclusion to the Tournament of Fools. But before that, I think we need to do a take-home top three. And for this week's take-home top three, I assigned you, last episode, to come up with the top three games that you would use to get non-gamers into modern board gaming. Yeah, so this was uh, certainly a fun fun topic for me. It's uh, one of the things I most love to do is to teach people board games, show people uh, a game that they haven't seen, or just how cool games have become if they haven't played anything since they were a kid. I set up my criteria for this one to be number one, the games had to be something for adults. So uh, I love gaming with kids and teaching kids to play games or, or families to play games. But I decided for the purposes of this, I was just talking about uh, playing with other adults. The games had to be easy to teach because I think that is one of the absolute uh, must-haves if you're trying to get somebody into a game. You can't ask them to sit through a 20-minute explanation on their first game or you're never going to get them. I wanted things with a fair bit of interaction because I think that is the biggest thing that games have uh, improved on since we were kids. And finally, I wanted the games to be something, to show people something that they hadn't seen in a game before and to leave them wanting to try more. So that's my that's my setup for how I tried to whittle down my list of 100 games that I love down to three. Those, are, I think, are all excellent criteria, so... So my first pick is probably not a surprise to anybody who has taught games or has uh, played games with me. Uh, my my absolute go-to favorite for teaching somebody a game is Ticket to Ride. Yeah, I knew that was going to be on there. So Ticket to Ride is, uh, to me, just the quintessential modern game that's colorful, easy to learn, easy to explain. You can get people up and running in five minutes if you know what you're doing. And uh, it's fairly interactive, and I, I just there's something very tactile about it. It's not the most complicated game, but it's there's a lot of versions of it that are are just a lot of fun. I should back up and tell people who might not know the game. So this is a board game where you have a map of the U.S. and Canada and all the cities marked out, and 
Um, you're laying little train pieces between the cities, connecting them via routes. And essentially, it's it's kind of like a game like Rummy, where you're just collecting sets and cashing them in to build these routes. So it's it's very approachable, but total, total fun. And it's... Oh, the other criteria that I forgot to mention is it has to be a game that I still actually want to play. Yes. Because there are games that I teach people because it's fast and I know they'll be able to pick it up quickly, but that I'm kind of tired of. I never get tired of Ticket to Ride. Yeah, no, it's still a lot of fun to play for sure. Uh, so that's my that's my absolute gold standard. I haven't really ranked these. These are just three picks. So my second pick is something that is definitely different for people, but is another all-time classic, and that's Pandemic. Also uh, something that fits your three all of your criteria, I think. Yeah, so Pandemic, for people who don't know, um, it's a game about saving the world from pandemics or big disease outbreaks. But what makes it really different for people who don't know is that it's a cooperative game where you're trying to beat the board. You flip over cards each turn and diseases will pop up in new locations. And as players, you're not competing with each other. You're just trying to win the game. You either all win or you all lose. And the reason I think Pandemic is such a, an amazing example of this kind of game is because it's so well balanced that I find almost every game is a nail biter. Whether you win or lose, it always seems to be really close. It keeps you thinking that, oh, we're just going to pull it off. You know, it's always kind of a nail biter right to the end. Yeah, I think many times with that game, both when I've won and lo- or lost, I've looked ahead at the next couple of cards to see what would have happened. <laughs> and it's almost always like, had we just had one more turn, we could have won. Yeah. Or, oh my God, if we hadn't finished it on that turn, we were going to lose on the next one. Yeah, it's it's just amazing how, how well it, it comes out like that. Or, or, you know, we've had games where we've said, well... We've got it in the bag. The only thing that could possibly make us lose would be this one thing, and that one thing it'll have. But it just makes for a very memorable experience, so it's a lot of fun. I do find, though, uh, and I'm sure this is not your issue, but uh, you have to play Pandemic with the right group. Because it is a cooperative game, everybody talks about what they're going to do, and if one person really knows the game and the other people don't, and that one person wants to be overbearing or is focused solely yeah. on winning, it can become a solo game where one person just directs everybody else as to what to do. Yeah, for sure. And that is an issue with, with co-op games if you have the wrong people playing them. So that's a, it's a fair, uh, fair caveat on it. But uh, hopefully you find some good friends and that's not going to be an issue. Yeah. So my third pick is maybe a little bit more surprising. Um, it's a recent game. It's uh, something that I picked up in the last six months or a year, but I've been playing a lot, and it's a game called Dice Forge. We played this at Shucks last year. That's right. Um, so it's a it's a fairly recent game. It's got amazingly crafted components, though, so the, the production quality is great, the art is great, and thematically i don't know what's going on you're serving gods or something but uh the theme doesn't really come through but basically you're you're rolling dice every turn to earn resources to buy more and more power-ups and it's basically just a race for points but the thing i like about this one is although it looks really busy and really complicated i think you know i think if you were showing a non-gamer this game they might very well 
seem overwhelmed at first, but it's so easy to teach and it's so easy to learn uh, because basically every turn you're just rolling dice and buying stuff or rolling dice and, and moving your little counters up on your board. So the, the basics of it are really easy to, uh, to get people into. But I love that it's essentially um, a very, very basic, simple version of a type of game known as a deck builder, which is that you're taking a very small um, number of resources that you start with and you're just buying more so that each turn you can sort of get better and better results with the same start. So in this game, you're actually popping little plastic dice apart and taking the faces of the dice off and, re and replacing them with better ones. Yeah, I love that uh, aspect of the game, and it certainly fits the idea that it's something that non-gamers would never have seen before. The idea that you actually change the face of the dice that you're rolling as the game change as the game progresses. Yeah, that's what I really liked about it when we played it uh, at uh, Shucks last year. You know, it's just again that that the component quality is so good. I don't even know how they produce these things. I don't know if the like the graphics are like melted into the plastic or whatever but it seems like the sort of thing that oh that'll be too fiddly or but it really the pieces pop on in and out really nicely and uh, there's no peeling corners or anything and you get to roll the dice every time every turn everybody else's turn you get to roll the dice it's very satisfying uh, and really really cool fantasy art on it as well yeah i agree with you though that the the mechanics and the gameplay certainly don't involve theme because having played it i couldn't tell you at all what the theme of the game was other than roll dice get resources get better dice yeah but it's it was a, really a great package the the instructions are really well written it's a pretty cool example of what a modern game can be i like that uh would that one having been something you got in the last six months if it was not uh, if we were talking about this six months ago before that game, would Dominion have possibly been the third one? Um, quite possibly. Dominion is uh, is the very first deck building game. Uh, it's still good, but uh, it has its pros and cons. Uh, I don't know if it's something that I would try and show somebody as a new thing, but it's a great game. It still holds up for me, but that's a good, good question. I like it because uh, in terms of that criteria that you're want to show them something that modern board games can do that they likely haven't seen before. The idea of the deck builder for people who may have played cards in their life before, along with sort of the standard list of uh, American board games growing up, the idea that the deck that you're playing with changes over the course of the game mm -hmm. is uh, is a novel concept that is uh, fun to introduce. Sure, it's it's fun and it's, it's always entertaining slash cringeworthy to, to watch people try and process the concept of with a game like Dominion you start with a very small pile of cards and you buy cards into your deck but that means you you go through your whole deck very quickly and there's this whole cycle where you have to take your your discarded cards and shuffle them back into a new deck and start all over again and that kind of cycle of you know handling these piles of cards and shuffling them all the time really confuses the crap out of people and that's that's the one reason i i'm a little hesitant to put that in as a gateway game but if people can get past that that initial confusion it's really rewarding yep cool well uh yeah that was a great assignment i had a lot of a lot of runners up king of tokyo jaipur for a two-player game camelops another one 
that I think is a lot of fun to teach people. But uh, yeah, those were my 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 go tos for for gateway games. Nice. All right, I think it's uh, time that you come up with something for me to do for next week. Yeah, I've got something a little different for you this week, and it's a little bit of a tie-in to the Tournament of Fools. Um, this week, your assignment is to tell me your favorite three episodes of the IT Crowd. Oh, that means I'm gonna have to watch the IT Crowd. Exactly. I was I was kind of <laughs> kind of mortified that you you'd never seen the show, and uh, so even if you only watch the first three episodes, those are gonna be a great introduction. If I actually only watch the first three episodes, then those would be my top three episodes of the IT crowd. <laughs> I, I suspect you're going to watch more than that, but uh, see see how you do. Yeah, no, I have no uh, opposition or like problem with watching it. I just have never gotten around to well, it. Now you have a reason to. And I, I was quite pleased. I, um, I pulled up, we, we talked about Moss, one of the characters on the show last week. And I pulled up a highlight reel of great Moss moments, and some of his best moments are in the first couple of episodes. So I think, I think you're gonna hit the ground running and say, "Why did I never watch this before?" All right, I can do that. Cool. I will look forward to it. Well, I think that's about all we have time for this week. Catch us every Wednesday at totallysortof.com, in the Podbean app, on Google or in the iTunes store. We'd love to hear from you, so uh, please leave us a comment on the site. Hit us up on Twitter, on Instagram, or you can email us hello at totallysortof.com. Or even better, uh, we'd love for you to leave a rating or review, either on iTunes or Google. Our intro song is punked and is used by permission from the artist Kabana Black. You can find a link to him and his stuff as well as links to a lot of the things we've talked about in this episode in the show notes. Until next time, I'm Darren Hogan. And I'm Chris McKinnis. And you've been listening to the Totally Sort Of podcast. Talk to you later, buddy. You bet, pal.